traversing from one node, start exploring in different directions, trying to find shortest paths from the source, right? And then we talked about how to represent this graph as a matrix. Um, <laughs> matrices allow us to do uh, some clever things, like uh, um, simulate these random walk procedures. So you, if this is a graph, you can imagine randomly walking around here, and the homeworks are going to be around that. Uh, just randomly walking around the graph uh, allows us also to do some clever things, like identify somehow importance of certain nodes. If this is the web pages, then you could out highlight some of the most prominent web pages, for example, by just merely looking how many links there are pointing to certain web pages, and how frequently visited web pages point to you. So, that is the reminder about the last week. I have another one. I don't know what's going on with these. Okay, and, and matrix notation just will give us some way to express complicated things in a compact manner. Um, and then we started uh, discussing this, uh, the main topic of today, um, in the social networks, uh, various types of social networks, or this one is I think I asked once, can, can this be a social network, or why not? It seems that some of the properties are slightly different than from the social networks. Uh, too long, uh, shortest paths, for example. Um, so this one was protein interaction data. But the question that we are going to ask today is, from one point, you can ask, what is the distance to every other point? Yeah? But it doesn't tell you if, if, I, if I ask what is the distance from here to there, in order to calculate all these distances, we somehow would need to go in every possible direction. If we had the Euclidean space underlying, uh, we mentioned the A star heuristic, then you can estimate not only how far you are from the source, but also how close you are to the target. In the social network, there is no 
but or just in the graph there is no obvious sense of the direction you could move away and then just single link there it's just a layout yeah. we do the layout but it the layout could be also different so there is no sense of the direction which way to look uh, and uh, once you have the two points and ask what is the potential shortest distance between them somehow we don't want to go through the entire graph but we would want to have very quick understanding what the distance will be and uh, so I'm going to t talk about this uh, piece of research from a couple of years ago uh, when we got uh, these large uh, Skype uh, data sets then some of the questions was what can we do with these kind of data or large graphs in principle so the title in here <coughs> is estimation of shortest path distances in very large graphs it has to be full uh, fast in very large graphs it, it has to be fast and the way how it's achieved is by uh, using landmarks and uh, we get extra bonus uh, that we can make it uh, more dynamic to the graph updates and then the way how we uh, sort of motivated that piece of work was that you are somewhere in here guy meets a girl named Mary how do you find the Mary in the social network like Skype there are millions of them right so to, to to your Mary, you could have all irrelevant Marys. They are nowhere close to your social network, uh, to you. Right? So you would somehow like to uh, find the Marys that are closest to you first, not just Mary from here or there. And, uh, and the question is, once you have all the Marys, uh, you know that there is million, then you would like to get the distance from at least estimate what are, what are these million distances to all the million merits. Uh, maybe not uh, to one million, maybe you want a smaller number. So that was kind of the motivation. And in here, uh, that one is the closest, therefore you should sort of, probably that is the most correct uh, person. So that is a lot of sort of like the motivation and if you do naively or sort of the correct, the absolutely correct way, then you do breadth first search, starting from this one uh, node. You do one hop, two hop, three hop. You calculate from one to every other the distances using breadth first search, and then you know exactly how far is every node from the source. In this case, it would take, uh, depending on the machine and interpretation, uh, tens of minutes. Okay, but uh, once you do the nearest neighbor distance uh, search from one point, from this node, you know exactly the distances to everybody else. And this <coughs> distance from one node to every other node, knowing that distance, um, what, what this achieves is that this gives us some estimate what are the potential uh, distance ranges between those nodes as well. So you know, 
from u distance 3, from u distance 4, the actual distance will be less than 7, because from u it would be 7 hops, and it's more than 1, uh, because 3 and 4, that, that is the difference, is 1. In here, the distance will be, if it's 4 and 1, the, at least uh, with 5 hops you can reach, so upper limit is 5, and the lower limit uh, must be uh, more, 3 or more, because imagine if there would be 1 and 2 hops, then the distance from here to you would be 1, 2, 3. And clearly it is 4. It can't be... It can't be less than 3 plus 1. So the difference, the, the actual distance must be larger than the difference. So by having from one landmark the knowledge how far everybody is from that landmark, does tell us something about the distance, potential distances between the nodes as well in the tree. Sort of, if you do breadth first search, you get the tree, you get or sort of, you, you get the distances, right? And then you get at least the estimates for the ranges. By selecting uh, k, a small number k landmarks, or supernodes, for which you have calculated exactly all these distances, what do you need to store? So for k times, one to k, you need to know distance to node number one is, of course, what? Well, it doesn't, well, if it's any particular node, you have one, two, n nodes in the graph, and all that you need to store in a way is just distance from one landmark to every other node. Right? And uh, if you have node i and j, you have these two distances in here, and with these two distances already you know that the actual distance must be between the sum and difference of those two values. By having more than one landmark, our ranges can only get better. So we get uh, better estimates of the actual distance. Uh, so to get these estimates, um, of course, the, the, the speed is just depends how many uh, landmarks we have selected. Initially, you can, we can calculate that with the one single breadth per search for each landmark. <coughs> you just fetch two values to make the sum and difference. So it's okay, big O of k landmarks time to get relatively good estimates of the actual distances. Uh, how much space? Sorry? In fact, we have, for k landmarks, we have, we store n distances. And that is the exact value. And then 
Is it four bytes or eight bytes or K landmarks and distances? So that is the, the sort of like the warm up, the basis. And with all the knowledge that you have now, you can easily come up with a better method, um, with some of the methods to improve on this very basic principle. There are two landmarks that are the same. Landmark is just one particular node in here for which you know distance to every other node. Yes. Every other node. N, N nodes in the graph, you know distances to every other node. Landmark itself is included, the distance is zero. <coughs> so if you happen to ask what is the distance from landmark itself? Then the distance to landmark is zero, and the particular node j, you know the five. Zero plus five is five. Zero minus five is five. So the distance must be between five and five. Distance is five. So it's sufficient to just store a couple of tables of numbers, distances. Um, and what it illustrates, the, the same example in here, 3, 4, 1, I think is in here, this is distance 1. You, if you generated the breadth first search 3, you would get to know that this is distance 1, this is distance 2, this is distance 4, and uh, 1, 2, 3. Yeah. We haven't highlighted this V74. So, um, the first uh, kind of clever idea was, why do we need to create these tables and maintain these tables? If you do your classic breadth-first search, then this is the predecessor link pointing to the parent, ultimately to the root. With one, two, three, four hops, you know that from V8, the distance to this landmark is one, two, three, four. Just follow the links. Instead of looking up from the table that the value was four, you could afford going the four steps through the graph. Yes, it's slower than just looking it up from here. But by how much slower? <coughs> in here you just fetch the number and you do something with that. In there you would fetch the parent, parent, parent until you hit the null pointer. So what is the time? Same as how many steps? Yes. How many steps there on average in the social network? Six. On average, six. Because you heard about the six degrees of separation. On average, the distances will be around six. 
it doesn't say that uh, it could be zero or one, but one or two. On average, it's six. Some are slightly longer, but turns out that the slightly longer is, uh, of course, it's, if it's a disjoint component, then it's infinite, right? But if it's within the same component, then the our estimates of the diameter of this scribe graph, the largest component was around 34 or something like that. So there exists some long paths, but the length is not very big. So you can still afford going 34 times occasionally, right? Uh, how much space Okay, we would do multiple steps, but how much space would we need? For this landmark, for every node, we needed one pointer. For the landmark, we needed one pointer for every node, and we have, of course, we have n nodes, the same probably 8 bytes for a pointer. It depends how you, if this integer pointer, if you have less than 4 billion nodes, you can use 4 bytes to point it. Exactly that, well, okay, distance is small, but you could say that, oh, it's sufficient to keep 1 byte, because distance will be less than 34, right? 1 byte will store 256 values. So the space is slightly bigger. Instead of distance, the actual pointer. And you could, but you could keep k, uh, such competing uh, shortest distance trees. So by maintaining the tree, uh, what do we what do we gain? We 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 go slightly slower because we have to go actual steps, count how many steps there is to the root. But if you ask what is the distance from v five and v eight. We had three and four, and our estimates was that it, it's going to be between seven and one. But now, moving up the tree, once you hit the same parent, the lowest common ancestor gives us better estimate for the distance between these two guys. By walking up the tree, you can see whether you hit the same branch in which case, now we have much better uh, value for the distance between V5 and V8. So we can improve our accuracy without losing uh, speed much. At this location, we can, we can start experimenting how frequently this happens, etc., randomly, how, how, how often we have this situation. But in here, in this example, we can get much better estimate by just hitting the same lowest common ancestor. Now, the next thing is <laughs> you go, yeah. imagine that somehow your path, the shortest path trees, work somehow like this. The, longest common, the lowest common accessory is there, you ask the distance between this and this. You walk up, you walk up, and you hit one common node. 
then you know how many steps, how many steps, you have a better estimate. But every node has certain neighborhood, right? While you move up the tree, you could ask, does my neighbor hit the other path? Not only the lowest common ancestor, but if you walk slow enough, you can look left and right, and you can look at the scenery and observe whether your path crosses with some other path sooner. Right? So you can, and if you do that also in here, you could identify perhaps that one of the neighbors is joint between both sides. You hit the same node, you, you walk up, but you look at the neighborhood, and then you have, again, improved the actual distance estimate. So you can shortcut uh, left and right uh, this, uh, discover this node in here, this edge, sorry, this edge in here, and get one, two uh, shortest distance. So in social network, what would be the parents? Uh, just imagine there are like 800 friends research. Uh, we have, once you fix one landmark, relative to that landmark, that landmark gives you the one shortest path tree from to that landmark. So instead of landmark knowing the distances, we say that we convert that, we keep, instead of the converting this into number four, we just keep the pointer. So when, when walking up to one particular landmark, in this case, you have that notion of parent. Where do you put the landmark? So again, we have possibly improved our, uh, definitely improved our estimate. And uh, what is the time in here? Okay, we know that the distance. This is relatively small, maybe 10, 20 hops. One node may have maybe 100 neighbors, maybe only five. Also, this one may have just one or five or 1,000 neighbors. So if we use hashing or some technique or just keep integer, sort of like, have we been, have you observed this node once that from this part, this part, our rows have crossed? So you need just some hashing technique or tabulate whether this has happened. Yeah? Um, so you can observe that pretty quickly. The nodes don't have too many neighbors. You can afford looking at, uh, instead of one path, it's uh, neighborhood. On average, maybe on average maybe 20 node neighborhood. Uh, so this shortcutting gives us better estimates. It's slightly slower, and of course we can start measuring how much slower. <coughs> Um, so this is uh, this is nice, and of course uh, this is just one tree. But in fact, in the in the actual graph, as I said, we should have multiple uh, landmark, uh, multiple landmarks because they have they depending on the where you are in the graph, you, you may benefit from one landmark or the other. The more landmarks you have, the better. Turns out that it's sufficient to have some maybe only. 15-20 landmarks. So 15-20 times repeating the same thing is again cheap as compared to one billion node network.
Now, these are the landmarks. From each landmark and from each tree, you could get the same sort of like you you would get the estimate, right? Using this uh, uh, least common ancestor, look at the left and right, the shortcutting. You can afford doing this, right? Depends. Do you want that your your single link takes you to the other branch or two hops away, yeah, or cross from both sides uh, the links? But these two landmarks, in fact, define two shortest path trees. And what happens now is sort of like this. This may may seem more more complex, but we have sort of multiple parents depending to which landmark we are trying to uh, go to. From here, you have one parent going there, the other parent going there. Each landmark induces some uh, parenthood, right? Each landmark induces some part of the graph that we you sort of from this node, you go to that landmark and that landmark. If you have 10 landmarks, you can sort of say that for the two nodes and 10 landmarks, you have 10 parts, well, from each node you have, well, two nodes, you have 10 paths or landmarks, and these somehow induce a sub-graph of the large network. You have a very large and very dense hairball network, two nodes, you have one, two, three, four landmarks, one path there, the other path there, path there, path there. <coughs> oh, sorry. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, and four. Right? They're going through the actual nodes in the original graph. Right? So, uh, instead of my looking at each landmark separated from each other, these paths are going to cross at some points in here. So, every two points and whatever the K landmark is, induces somehow this subgraph. And, uh, and this additional method in here claims that once you have this small subgraph, because this is only uh, four, from every node you have four paths, it will be a very small subset of the entire graph. So we know exactly uh, how this is induced, and it's sufficient to now in this induced graph to do shortest path search, uh, breadth first, for example. But instead of doing breadth first in the original graph, which is very dense, very large, we have now a very small graph, k, well, two points that we ask information for, k pass to k, uh, times k pass to the uh, landmarks. So we induce the subgraph, and then you can do 
just the shortest path search in here. Threads first, one, two, three, and four ops away. Because your, your paths are going to cross and you will find this node anyway. So in this illustration, uh, we have two, uh, two landmarks, one, well, four paths to these landmarks, and along these four paths, we can do the shortest path search. And as in the previous case, there is still opportunity to look left and right, because the graph is so small, there is still opportunity to look left and right and see whether you can, by accident, shortcut uh, through one of the uh, neighborhood links that you would normally not take. So this gives us, again, one, two, or three hops in here uh, by using this, uh, this subgraph and doing the nearest neighbor search over that. So these were the uh, basic methods uh, outlined in the paper, sort of over the starting from the basic from this idea, and started to work with the idea why don't we just keep the original uh, shortest path trees from landmarks. Then these are the natural extensions to this search algorithm. Using the substite uh, are landmarks in which are these regular In here, I said that uh, you have two nodes for which you ask distance, and, and in this particular case, there was these were the landmarks. If you have the fifth landmark in there, you have from that the two shortest path trees, well, paths were these, right? Intuitive. And having the fifth one, maybe the shortest path is now not from there, but actually from there. It improves your accuracy. <coughs> if, you, if you find the shortest path, you can't get any shorter. The more you can um, lower the upper bound and increase the path. Uh, In here, the lower bound is the difference. Uh, in here, we just have the current best estimate. Yeah. If you find a better one, okay, the path is actually there, that's the correct one. Right? So we just start getting the shorter and shorter paths. We ask what is the shortest path between two nodes, and that's what we want to know. Okay, so these are the methods. Um, breadth first search, you, you do induce the subgraph, and then uh, you just keep that induced subgraph, and then you can do this breadth first search over this induced subgraph, or from last time, uh, you can do Dijkstra, or A star, or any other heuristic, because you have a much smaller subgraph already. Uh, we started from the basic, just knowing the distances, to maintaining the trees 
and the tree gives us ad additional power of finding the lowest common ancestor on the same tree. Then we added this shortcutting, and finally the landmarks induce subgraph and the breadth search of that. Each method improves the prediction. Each method gives you <coughs> better estimate for the shortest path. Actually, finding the, the, the shorter and shorter paths if possible, right? So going down, our accuracy improves. Of course, speed-wise, fetching two values and doing differences is the fastest. So every method will be slower and slower and slower. Just intuitively, the question is how, well, how slow they, they will be. You would have to measure, right? Um, now, with this, maintaining, the, maintaining these trees from the landmark, maintaining the trees, it kind of allows us to, do, to claim that this is, entire structure is dynamic. Because, imagine, this is one shortest path tree to this landmark at the moment. You get to know a new friend, you add a link, and in this case, you happen to have the link there, right? So what will happen to the shortest path tree when you add the link in here? Instead of one, two, three, four hops, suddenly the distance from here drops to just a single hop. Uh, what happens to... Well, you turn this link there, right? You turn this one link there, but this one had one, two, three hops, and the entire subtree underneath, so... Basically, if you know that one, two, three is too long, from here you get one, two. So just repointing this pointer to there gives for entirely subtree better estimate. So you can relatively locally repoint some pointers uh, to this. We improve the distance to this one, and in the neighborhood, how much by, by how much we improved in this neighborhood, you can repoint the pointer a few times so that the new shortest path will go through this node instead of doing the, the breadth first again right? so breadth first again is slow, it's 20 minutes yeah? but in here relatively quickly you can update a few pointers and get uh, the correct shortest path 3 estimate addition of the nodes is 1 but occasionally you delete friendship uh, okay, probably it happens much less, but occasionally you do want to delete the node and what will happen instead of one hop, somehow then you would have to figure out that okay, all these paths came through me, but I have to sort of see whether some of those would have been better, so somehow you, you need to look at the neighborhoods again to repoint from here to use, the, for example, the old path or, or finding some other way to reconnect this node uh, to the shortest path tree. So basically, by, <laughs> by carefully trying to implement all of these, <coughs> what happens when you add? When you add a new node, nothing happens yet, because that is separate, it's joint. Things only happen when you add the uh, uh, edges. You add the edge, or you delete the edge. Uh, so basically trying to figure out which part of the tree I have to update to accommodate this new edge or deletion of the edge. Uh, the measuring on the actual uh, graphs, uh, DBLP is uh, 
uh, database for uh, for scientific literature in IT, uh, the, all the authors of the same paper, like that paper was with five authors, so five authors get the link <coughs> between them by sharing the publication. Um, so that network has 770,000 authors, 2.6 million edges. Uh, uh, diameter estimates, uh, I think diameter, what was the, the, the longest, the, the average distance and the, and the diameter. Um, and uh, this must be, a silver, I don't remember what this column was. I don't remember what that was. <laughs> but in the small graph, 345 milliseconds. Well, okay, this is just a single breadth-first search tree. I said that 20 minutes to go from one node to every other node on the large half a billion network, uh, half a billion node network with 3.1 billion edges. So 20 minutes to go through that graph to construct either this table, one table, or construct one breadth-first search tree. So construction time for these uh, these tables uh, or trees is about 20 minutes in the large graph. Um, the graph file itself would be 27 gigabytes, optim well densely uh, represented in the memory. Um, 454 million uh, nodes. Uh, there should be 404, uh, 454 million, uh, uh, million distances. Maybe there is some disjoint component. 433 million distances known uh, for this landmark. This is the size of one table. And remember, one byte was sufficient. Right? Because the distances are so small. They don't get larger than 256. So this is the uh, size of the just distance table, but this should be about four times larger, the pointers. If we, point, if we keep the integer pointers to the parent node. So this is the overhead for one landmark, how much space in addition to graph itself there is needed to store one um, shortest path tree. Giga. Because you have uh, same end as Sorry? In, in the first uh, table, the end is million, and in the second one is megabytes. There is how many, how many nodes? There is uh, uh, 454 million nodes. For every node, you need four bytes. Or, well, actually, 400. Well, this is how, for how many nodes we need to know the distance. And instead of, if for distance there was one byte, but for pa uh, parent pointer there was four bytes. So this times four should be this, roughly. 1.6 and 4, yeah, 1.72 something, 1.73. So this is how, how big the uh, memory footprint is per each landmark. Um, and now the timing, if you have 20 landmarks, 60 landmarks, or 100 landmark, landmarks, if you have 100 landmarks times 1.7 gigabytes, 
then that's the memory footprint, right? You need large memory. Um, but the timings will be uh, in milliseconds, 0 0.18 milliseconds or 5.10 milliseconds in the most slowest case. So in 5 milliseconds, you can afford doing this uh, induced subgraph and do the actual uh, shortest path estimate over this induced subgraph. Or in here you have 100 uh, landmarks, the uh, subgraphs will be larger, so 16 milliseconds. Instead of 20 minutes. From 20 minutes, you get to 16 milliseconds uh, estimating the distances. Um, and this all would fit nicely in this uh, in this memory. 100, 100 times 1.7 gigabytes is uh, 170 gigabytes for for landmark trees, and uh, some it was some what was the size? 27 gigabytes for the for the data itself for the graph. 170. <coughs> Uh, gigabytes for these hundred landmark trees, it all fits in this RAM memory. Uh, so this machine we had some four or five years ago. Now we have one terabyte and university I think it has also two terabytes RAM machines. Um, then Costa implemented these uh, updates uh, inserting and deleting the edges in these different graphs. Insertions are quick microseconds space because time because there was very few links that need to be re redirected, but deletions are very non-uniform, sometimes larger, larger rearrangements of the tree were needed. On average, 11 milliseconds, but some may have taken one second. I, I, you, you can ask from Koista. He ran exactly these uh, uh, queries. Um, so basically, we uh, in this paper showed how to improve this basic landmark method by making it, creating the tree, <coughs> and then allowing these dynamic updates and walking through the tree in these methods. But you haven't asked anything about how to <laughs> how to select the landmarks. Which landmarks would be good? Or what is the accuracy of these methods? So, intuitively, the, the easiest would be to just say that, okay, in the network there are halves. Halves are the ones that have many outgoing links, so just select the halves. So, the ones that are, have uh, most neighbors, highest degree uh, nodes. Uh, and in this case, you hope that many paths, many actual shortest paths will go through that node anyway. Right? So, if, if that happens to be the actual landmark, then your estimates are absolutely correct. Uh, one is the landmarks, and the other idea is to try to identify some, some landmarks that somehow cover the entire space the best, so that the most actual shortest distances would go through those nodes. So best coverage, somehow imagine the shortest paths, one, two, three, four hops, one, two, three, one, two, three, four hops, between random pairs of nodes. The, what is a node 
through which the paths go the most. In this case, V is used twice. So V is frequently used on the actual shortest paths. We should have the landmark V. The problem is that to find these things is uh, kind of trick. You would have to run many random pair of queries and try to identify if you hit the same, if the same nodes are happening on the shortest path trees. Many times, right? And then count how many how many times you hit some node. Use hashing or tabulating the data. How frequently you have hit certain node in this? Probably you need. Well, it's sufficient to have 400. Well, one billion <coughs> integers you can just keep in that in that way. In this case, you just count how many times you you hit each node. Now, how do we measure the accuracy? Um, the actual shortest path is D. We don't know that. We try to estimate that. But we get the estimate that is D prime. D prime is longer than actual one. Sometimes it's the actual, sometimes we miss one link or two hooks, right? So therefore you can say what is the difference? And what is it relative to the distance? So 5 minus 3 is 2 over 3 is uh, error is 2 thirds. If instead of the actual distance 3 we estimate it 5, then it's 2 thirds. And uh, this shows how these uh, this average, um, average errors measured in this way, how the basic method is the worst and the the more better method you use, the lower the error estimates. So in here they are 0 0.02 or 3. Yeah. So you get you get better estimates uh, for DVLP and Skype data. In here Skype is the largest graph, so actually the errors will be around 12%. For 100 uh, landmarks, 12%. And for la uh, 20 landmarks, it's, uh, of course, your estimate is worse, so it's 22% in here. Now, the three colors, you can choose the landmarks randomly. That is good enough, but uh, maybe you can do better. So, highest degree and best coverage. So the best coverage idea, of course, tries to say that we actually try to look hard what, is, what are the actual best nodes. So the, if you can uh, do these 100 best coverage nodes, then you get the, be uh, the best estimates in here on, on the very large uh, Skype data. And the me basic method, um, especially with the random uh, Landmarks is relatively poor. The best coverage one, you already get this very fast method that only do, does what 25. The, the high degree ones are even better somehow. 20% error, or all these improved methods try to squeeze out the error, right? So they are they are <coughs> they drop from 20% to somewhere around 15, 13%. And the speed estimate, you, well, of course you pay price by speed, 
but that's uh, the accuracy. And, and if this 10, if this 10, 15% error measured in this way on average is okay, then why not? Instead of the 20 minutes, you get millisecond time execution times. Uh, the time to find highest degree nodes, of course, is trivial. You just find nodes with the highest degree. Uh, even in the large graph, it's one minute. But best coverage, well, this you can keep uh, trying to uh, do over. In this case, it was one hour to select uh, landmarks with the best coverage. One, one hour you run the code and you, you select something. Over the time, network evolves, the things may deteriorate, maybe you want to rerun re the entire process, um, but it's going to be like maybe <coughs> one day, 24 hours, you rerun everything. So to summarize so far, uh, at that time it was about half a billion nodes, three billion edges, uh, you run one landmark uh, well, basically landmark selection time, either two days, one minute to, to two days. Um, for one landmark, you execute 20 minutes. If you have 100 landmarks, then that's the time. Space, for 100 landmarks, 170 gigabytes. Average query times, 5 milliseconds to 16 milliseconds. Very little overhead for these more complex methods. Insertion times, read <coughs> times, and average relative errors, 18%, 15% um, in here. Oh, the, the landmarks you can run parallel, right? Because they are independent from each other. Or multi-core. Every core, each core takes its own as long as it can fetch from the random, uh, from the random efficient. Compared to the average, the average relative error uh, benefit, the query times uh, uh, still much larger. Like, like if, if, if you compare those two methods, TS and... What do you mean? You, you only get two percentage. Uh, oh, in here, yeah. The more complicated method takes three times more time, but you only prove by... by 20 per, well, what is it, some 20% in here, right? 18, three, 3 out of 18 is 1 sixth, 15% well, 15% improve, uh, improvement. You know, the, the, to get the 80% you can gain relatively easily. To get the last 20% is always the, the, the challenge, right? So this is obvious, right? If, if your company is happy with the method, the easier <laughs> method, then you can use that. Sure. Uh, okay, so... We keep the trees, we do the lowest common ancestor search or shortcuts left and right, then induced uh, uh, landmark, induced uh, subgraphs, and doing searches on those. 
dynamic updates, then how to select the landmarks, that was the essence of the uh, paper. And um, um, yeah, well, the research never stops. You can uh, start thinking about the weights, what happens when the graph has weights. Uh, you can use weighted shortest path trees, then the long path may still have the short distance. Uh, but then the dynamic updates become more complicated. So I, I'm not sure if Costa has been experimenting on those, but just intuitively, uh, what would it take? Uh, directed graphs, converting to directed graphs, uh, things use two shortest path trees per landmark, one way or the other. Um, yeah, okay. Um, again, depends, do you have tasks that really need this? Um, the, the thing that the uh, Vladimir Forescu was uh, one of the software engineering students, uh, completed his studies uh, instead of working on Skype data, now he works for Spotify. So uh, Vladimir and uh, Koista, what they did next was actually something that instead of this space, having k trees for shortest paths, they, they cut this number from k to something like constant, I think constant time n. So actually they reduced the space requirement by several fold. The basic idea, the same basic idea, but they reduced the space uh, uh, requirement. Uh, that paper I would give as one of the papers to read for the essay, right? So you can you, you can always make better than this. Research doesn't stop ever. But having the basic basic things in front of you, trying to combine different ideas, and and you can get better and better results. Okay. Um, The, this one I'm going to go through relatively superficially. That it's a very popular topic in the social network analysis. Uh, what are the communities? What are the uh, what are the communities of researchers? You can imagine the citation networks, or sort of which papers or which researchers work in the similar areas because they cite each other's work or somehow collaborate. So that is forming a community for craft search researchers. Right? There could be some other community do, doing, I don't know, applying data mining methods for business process optimization. So they very rarely cite each other's work. There are separate communities. Or in the web, of course, related web pages, uh, clusters, in the social networks, various groups. Well, you, you have friendships, uh, close family, uh, sports friends, school friends, etc. So uh, how to find these uh, uh, communities with the goal, for example, to advertise to certain communities, to all the guys doing the similar sports, the, the, to the communities, etc. Uh, so uh, there are some... Um, 
classic data sets where people start working on these research questions. And of course, the first question is how to get the data, some classic data sets, some karate club uh, friendships, or two, I think there were two karate clubs, you can see that merging, or somehow the one club and the other, trying to identify these communities within the graph. Um, the thing is that if you have the graph, somehow the definition of what, on the, on, in the terms of the graph itself, intuitively you know what are your communities, right? But just graph with no labels, <coughs> just with some edges to define what do, what do we mean by the community can be tricky. So some de uh, definition will, if I define the community to be near click, very large click, maybe a few missing links, click is every node is connected to every other one, then you start finding, trying to find clicks. Right? Then you come up with the try to find the algorithm that tries to find the clicks. Uh, these are not exactly clicks, they are relatively dense, so you have, if you say that I define my community with a certain other definition, then your task is to somehow optimize or find subgraphs that correspond to that definition. And in the, in the social network analysis, uh, every possible kind of definition has been, not every possible, but many of those have been tried to uh, define and then try to find the algorithm that finds those structures. You make the definition, this is what I want to find, and then you try to implement the algorithm that finds those <coughs> structures in the very large graphs. So I'm going to show some of the examples uh, from these. Um, How could we somehow, well, by the circle and the square, you see the two communities in here, as defined maybe by social science, whatever, the actual community. Yeah? How do you find that, how do you write the algorithm that tries to identify those? MCL algorithm we tried to outline before. Random walk, if some nodes or edges are visited infrequently, then delete those. So you keep walking in one community, and then you, if you cross, you keep walking in there, but the crossing points, you don't visit too often. So perhaps you can delete them, right? So that was the one principle. The other principle would be, okay, but let's just do many random pairs and calculate shortest paths between them, right? Like we did in the previous case. Many random pairs, we know the shortest paths. Perhaps we apply some fast method, we have estimates, and then, what separates that? How can we separate communities by doing this kind of search? The edges that are visited frequently are somehow in between the two communities. If, if, the, if the paths are from two communities, you by necessity will visit one of the bridges. There is more than one bridge. If there would be just a single bridge, that's obvious, right? But there are more than one bridge, uh, sort of like uh, bridging the communities, and those that are frequently visited, they somehow will have high betweenness. They are between the two communities with a high frequency. So the, uh, in this way, you could just do many random uh, searches, and you find those that are in between the communities frequently, and then you cut them out. And that helps to separate 
than communities. Sort of uh, who bridges your community to some karate club? If one of you does karate, then that link from any of you to the entire karate club, that person is always used, right? You just cut it out, and then you have one community and the other separate. Simple idea. And then you keep doing this and, and try to uh, see how, 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 how fast this method will converge, etc. So this illustrates uh, you have six, seven nodes in one side, seven nodes in the other, seven by seven, uh, 45 different combinations, uh, and all of those will use this edge in between the communities. It just split from here. Um, then somehow modularity would be something that uh, how many ages are within this community? So you would expect uh, somehow if you have the community then there is more than random uh, number of ages within that community. So you can start playing the question, what is the expected number of edges inside the community for a random graph with a similar <coughs> node distribution? And if you observe more, then you may have the good community. So modularity, will, well, defining it this way, without going to details, uh, uh, you can somehow say that this modularity uh, number would be in between minus one and plus one, and then if it's plus one, then you have much more than expected numbers within the cluster, somehow within this community, and then you try to find such uh, uh, such uh, uh, modules or such uh, communities. So trying to say that define this kind of modularity that more than expected number of connections, and then you try to make the method for this. How do you find the, the, these modules? You start from the small clicks, small modules, and you start somehow growing them. Bottom up. You can start thinking of methods top down. Just split the graph to two, right? Top down, divide, divide, and divide, and divide. Or bottom up, you start from small, and then you start increasing them. Uh, so trying to find some small seeds and then start decreasing from them. Um, so in here, somehow it illustrates that this graph with the labels, with the numbers, the communities uh, in here, somehow you, you discover that there is more links within this uh, area, more links within this area. In there are some similar links. So if we would collapse these small modules into a single node, there were 14 internal links between all of those bidirectional, so each link uh, counted twice. Um, so there is 14 links within the module. Uh, in this module there is 16 links within the module. So the small communities, the small seeds can be collapsed together almost like uh, this uh, uh, strongly connected component, you collapse together. So in here you co uh, collapse a single small community together. And then you still can have the counts to the other modules. So you, you do that 
uh, first, and then you have the smaller graph, and you can apply it again. Uh, and now these two form a new community, slightly larger community. And uh, ultimately you will have these, I think, <coughs> this side and this side is two separate communities. This side, three to the other, right? So you get from this, from this, you get to this. Uh, this is uh, one published case study. Belgium, bilingual country. French talk to French only. Dutch speaking talk to Dutch only. But there is a small community that connects the two large communities. And within this community, you have Dutch and Belgian talking to each other. They are, they are the uh, bridge-building people between the two communities. So, it's really nice to somehow look, oh, this is oh, so this is nice small graph, but it's two million customers. How the two million customers make calls to each other? Who talks to whom? Then the next example of the sort of ideas would be there are communities something where you have people share the same links sort of like your friendship is very much like her friendship you, you share many shared links um, or sort of the you can yeah you can think both ways you, you, you define the similarity between two nodes by how much how much they share the same links, yeah. uh, or somehow you can. Uh, I think in here it was sort of like take one one link and start uh, thinking which other links are somehow creating similar pairs, so which other links are somehow similar. Uh, yeah, this is uh, just the illustration again. The underlying graph and the, how, the, how the communities are in here, they're almost like clicks. Uh, within the larger graph, there are certain clicks that you somehow intuitively would like to identify. But the, on this example, um, this shows some, but we haven't had much, uh, but we haven't had anything about clustering. But the goal is somehow to take the graph, take all the edges, uh, three, four, two, four, one, four, so these one, two, and three links, somehow they are very similar because they connect uh, similar edges. And uh, um, I don't remember, the, maybe there is no links to the, yeah, there is no links to the blue regions, but to the red, they share some common node in here. Uh, to, the, to the three links in here, what is the last one? Uh, Two, three, these links, two, three, one, two, one, three, these three links, and these three links, they are relatively similar, so we get a, a larger cluster. Uh, all these links are relatively similar. You define what, is, what does it mean to be similar, and then you apply clustering. In this case, it's hierarchical clustering, where out of all the links, you, you ask which two are the most similar to each other, you merge them together, and then you merge another ones together, 
and you keep merging them, you get hierarchical clustering tree. Uh, I think I will put into the course the clustering part later, but also in data mining in Spring, we will definitely talk more about clustering. So I'm not going to go into the into these clustering uh, details at the moment, but this would somehow tell you which links are more similar to each other, and this forms one cluster, uh, yellow cluster, and blue cluster. So you, after the clustering, you can get these out. Or larger example in here, how these you can see how the clicks are near clicks are happening within those modules. So what hierarchical clustering does is it merges these, this and this are in the higher, higher level structure uh, clustering together. So it gives you the hierarchical view of the communities. Well, communities defined in this way. It's very tricky to say that what we mean by community intuitively, how to put that into mathematical terms. The, the best you can do is, okay, I, I try to represent this mathematically as this, and this algorithm will allow us to detect this type of communities. It doesn't say that it, you get all the possible types from all the possible data. That would depend on the graphs and what, type, what, what, what are the real... Uh, <laughs> what do we mean by the community? Okay, um, and, well, the, the, it's a rather large uh, research area, very popular was in the entire 2000, at least, I, I don't know if, if this continues to be very popular now, but in 2000, uh, until now at least, it's a very large research, active research community to try to analyze the graph structures. What do graphs look like, how, the, how they are generated, how they are evolving, like social networks emerged over this period of time. Lots of the biological data has been formulated in terms of graphs. So lots, lots of research about trying to understand the graph structures and trying to come up with algorithms to work with the very large graphs. So imagine the progress from Euler path over the bridges in Königsberg. Six, seven nodes trying to figure out what are the basic properties of the graphs very mathematical, and now we get to actual large, huge networks uh, from every possible, not from every possible area, but from many possible areas. Internet, web pages, communities, social networks, biological data, all these forming very large graphs. And then, of course, all the analysis about the, what the graphs look like, do they have the same edge distribution, node distribution, degree distributions, power laws, all these. Are they similar, similarly formulated or not? Uh, this was a very uh, interesting um, research area. Okay, um, any questions about this? Social networks, graph similarity. I, I have told you everything I know.
Um, so we, I, I think we have exactly nicely some 15 minutes uh, to go through the other type of algorithms that have been popular on graphs uh, have longer history uh, a little bit, but uh, also the, not, not everything has been solved. Just one, one topic is about the flow network, flow networks. And uh, the flow networks is something like a, like a water pipe system. From one pump, you can send water to that other pump state of flow. Now it's popular to talk about gas supply to uh, Europe, so from which gas pipelines you can throw, push through how much gas. And uh, suddenly, from there, the capacity is cut to minimal, so this is your case, so only very little could go there, right? So, larger pipelines, smaller pipelines, you, you, you can push in a lot of gas or water into this, and out from there, you can have wider or more narrow pipes. But this is all graph. This is, uh, this is a graph with a maximum flow capacity 5, 9, and 2. And then you can add something else. Let's make this uh, one and five, and then ask, okay, from here to there, this is a source, this is a sink or target. How much can you push maximally through this pipe network? The gas of water to the <coughs> endpoint. How much? Three units. Everybody agrees? Three units? So, so the maximum flow question is you have the graph, you have the capacities in there. And you ask, what is the maximum flow that you can actually push through? Of course, uh, there, there will be certain, certain, uh, certain conditions. You can't send five units, or say that you can't send hundred units all the time in here, but you can't pump it out. Yeah, it can't grow. Yeah? What comes in has to go out. So there has to be balance. What comes in has to go out exactly the same amount, except into the source and push it as much as you need. And then, uh, well, the thing is, the target you just somehow you can consume that, right? For every node, what you push in has to go out. And the entire balance 
what goes in has to be all the time somehow balanced. So finding the, finding the maximal flow somehow corresponds to finding one cut between the network that is minimal. This is called <coughs> minimal, minimal cut in here. To find one cut through which from one side to the other side you can't, well, what is the minimal amount that you can send? So source and sync, S and, S and T or source and target. In degree is, is uh, zero, out degree from here is uh, zero, but you can also think that you can, well, yeah, from there you want to push there. All the flows have to be positive values. Um, sometimes it's so that you can actually, since, since this is a pipe, you can think of this as a, a one-way, or sometimes it could be bidirectional. Right? If there is another way to go from here, then it's possible that you use this pipe in one direction, or if there is enough supply to here, then you can also, uh, well, in this case, uh, we would need to push, make this larger, like uh, whatever, 10. In this case, it's more beneficial to send this way two units to complement, to get more, seven units in there, uh, and then you can have maximally in here. So the pipes could be used both ways. But that's more variant. It is directed or undirected, one way or the other. And then uh, for every node, what comes in has to go out. And that happens with any subgraph as well. Whatever comes in has to go out to be in balance. <coughs> uh, so these are the, some of the examples in here. The question is, and the question of course is, how to find maximum flows efficiently? How to find what is the maximum flow? It's like a dual problem is to ask, what is, the short, what is the minimal cut? You can cut the graph in many different ways. Partition them to two separate parts. So, how would you do this? Is it possible on this graph to somehow come up with, the, with this actual flow? I haven't thought about that. Can you just give it a try? Try to find what is the what is the maximal flow in here, and possibly identify the minimal cut.
what is the complexity of the algorithm that you are doing? Are you doing exhaustive search? Any heuristic? How do you try to think it in your head? As a programmer, as you think, you have to implement in code. Make a program out of this. Are you getting anywhere? No? <coughs> Good, that's silent. At least you can start from 16 plus 13, you could pump out 29, but in here the maximum that you could get in is 24. Right? 24 is the maximum in here. The question is, can you get 20 in here to send the 20? You could maximally get 7 plus 12, 19 to there. Uh, so 19 plus 4 would be 23. Yeah? And then, can you get... 19 into here. Okay, 12 you could get from there. But you need to add further 7 there. 7 and 4, yeah, that would be sufficient. Is it sufficient? Well, basically something like that. Yeah. <coughs> uh, I, I don't know if this 23 is now... Is 20, 20, yeah, 23, 19 plus 4, if that was maximum. Maybe, maybe it was. But you would have to see, try to argue somehow what you can send and what is... Can you reach that capacity? Uh, okay, so more th the constraints... The actual flow will be smaller than this capacity. Definitely, right? So these are the conditions. Flows have to be uh, smaller than inflow has to be the same as, as outflow. They have to be in balance and uh, conserved so that from any part of the network to the other, uh, basically the net flow will be zero. The way, um, in this example from source to target, so the first number is the capacity, 10, 8, <coughs> Uh, but actually consume the flow would be 9. So the flow would be in this case, let's see, 9, 8 goes there, nine, 8 is the capacity, we can put it flow maximally, 8 units goes there, 1 unit goes there, therefore 9 goes in, 9 goes out, uh, 6 and 1, we get 7 units in here, and that's what we can push through this pipe that has capacity 10. So in this example, um, if this 10, 6, 1, 8, and 10 is a capacity, then the maximum flow will be 8 plus 7, 15, not 18, or not 16. 16 could, could go flow out, uh, 18 could flow in potentially, but we can only push through 15 units. Uh, the cuts, 
the minimal cut kind of thing, but the argot is cut, you can cut at any place. In here, this, uh, if you cut in here from this subgraph, 10, 5, 15 is 20, 30 units could go out from this yellow region to the rest of the network. Um, if we cut this yellow region, make it larger, then out of this yellow region, 10, 8, 10, 28 could flow out from, from the yellow to the rest. So this is a smaller cut. I don't know if this is the minimal cut. At the, yeah, well, it says that it is minimal cut. Um, and that minimum cut would limit the maximal flow. So this finding the minimal cut is sort of the same as uh, finding the maximal flow. So they are uh, dual uh, problems. And uh, the fourth Fulkerson method is the one that we are going to look at. It's, uh, we have the capacity and the actual flow, so we try to make sure that how much we can push flow through that capacity. If we, we have the capacity 10, so by red arrow, there is actual uh, flow shown. So nine units, uh, well, this is kind of uh, perhaps uh, tricky to uh, look at. If this is the flow, nine, eight, one, seven, and six, so we represent the same graph as residual networks. So the flows nine, six, one, eight, and seven repoint the direction. And what remains in this network, potential capacity, is nine minus, 10 minus 9 is 1. One unit could be still there, right? 6 minus 6 is 0. Um, 1 minus 1 is 0 in that direction. <coughs> 0 and 3. So if you have sort of like show the flow and remaining capacity for sort of residual network, then we can see that the cut in here, 0, 0, 0, is there is no way we can push more through because the, this cut has capacity zero. Okay. Um, so somehow we want to get from the original capacity, start uh, making the flow, and just to see what remains as a remaining capacity, what is residual, how much uh, is left for us to use. And then if there is something left, we can push more. And that's going to be the basic algorithm. So if you, we start, we say, okay, from this path, I can send eight units. So therefore, eight and eight remains two units, remains zero units. Uh, but at least I have got eight units to the target. Then I may use... 6 and 6, then uh, remains 0 units, remains 4 units, 8 units, 4 units, and then I could observe what is remaining is that I still have capacity 2 and 1 and 4, and from there I could send another 1 unit through. So by looking what are the original uh, Possibilities, finding one path 
and through that path sending the maximal amount, I can uh, make that flow and decrease my remaining capacity, respectively, to make the residual network uh, with a smaller capacity. And then ask, can I still send more through some other path? And what do I need to uh, change to, on the residual network? So that is the basis of the uh, for Fulkerson uh, method. We select any path from source to uh, sync, uh, look how much can be sent from that path, and we send that delta units along this path, and then we update the residual remaining <coughs> capacities. If there is a path, if there exists a path from source to target that has some capacity, then we send that amount, and then we update the residuals until there is no path left. Because all the capacities, all the paths are cut through the, with the zero cut. So this is example. Um, find any path. From this path, we can send one unit. Residuals will be 2, 0, and 1. So the green represents the flow that we consumed, and we updated the re residual capacities, remaining capacities on the, on the network. Now we try to find any other path, any path, breadth first, depth first, whatever, just some path from source to target. Um, this time it finds this one, <laughs> reverses the pipe. Two, one, the, the capacity is, is one in here, so we send one, one, one. I think that was reversed. Um, yeah, we get to this situation. Then we find another path. Oh no, that was updated, and this is this is the current status. And then find another path. Uh, find those ones. Uh, update the residuals. There is zero left, uh, but the flows are two one one two two one one at the moment. <coughs> find any path. Uh, this limits, so we can send one unit through in here. There remains zero capacity there. There is still one capacity in there, but there is zero in there. So now it's harder to find a new path. We find it from there. We can again send only one unit, um, update the respective flows, and uh, what do we have now? There is no path anymore from source to sink because no path has remaining capacity. No way you can send more. And now the green path should show actual uh, maximum flow. So yellow ones would be uh, reachable, but there is no way to reach uh, T. And in this case, this is the, from this, you can see the green part. Well, this is what is, now highlighted in here, 
So that represents actual maximal flow on this graph. Sending as much as possible through that pipe, updating residuals, and doing it again. Finding it uh, several times. And now it depends now how much, uh, uh, well, basically how, how, how complicated this is, how many paths you do, uh, how much you will push. So that's, that's the basic algorithm. In all the cases of integers, this will converge. Everything works nicely. In a student language textbook uh, that you have studied in the graph algorithm, it says that uh, there is a counterexample. If these are complicated real numbers, then it's possible that this method, finding the path, pushing, remain the, uh, decreasing the residuals, that may get into in infinite loop. But, uh, but in most of the cases, I think for integers, etc., it, it actually uh, works. Because you can reverse the path one way or the other. Uh, I haven't worked through this example really. Uh, we have to stop in here, uh, but uh, the, <coughs> what we were missing was sort of like these kind of thing, algorithms can be used in analysis of distribution and transportation networks. You want to distribute to many vendors, but vendors try to distribute to many uh, you supply, you want to go to the distribute over the network, uh, supply, demand, what is your distribution capacities, through which ca channels, by cars, by uh, air, by sea, how much you can push, at which cost, and, uh, and then you can apply these maximal flow methods to maximally send out the goods through the transportation network to the target. So these methods can be actually used in optimization problems. Okay, but we continue from here next week.